down to Y Flutie, edge facing back right on. The only podcast taking you under the helmet. Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to cheer for now. This is Inside the Pocket with your host, Greg McElroy. Welcome in. It is Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy, alongside Andrew Emmer, our producer. And we are officially deep in week 15 of the NFL season. We are nearing the finish line, and some guys are starting to elevate their play, unlike some of their counterparts, which might be looking for new destinations. I'll say this. We usually tape the show earlier in the week, so I apologize for the delay. Uh, we had a power outage at my house <laughs> and there was no way to do it, uh, earlier in the week. So I appreciate your patience and I hope that the information receives you in a wonderful place. Let's start with some performances of the week, shall we? Let's go with the gold star of the week and it's going to go to Lamar Jackson. How could it not? I think he'd also be eligible for the bounce back award. He'd be eligible for just about anything. Uh, But he led the league in total QBR by over 10 points this past week. Second was Aaron Rodgers. And he put together what was a magical comeback against the likes of the Cleveland Browns. It was an incredible Monday night football game. If you missed it for whatever reason, it's probably the only football game that I would genuinely recommend you going back and watching. Even if you know the result, doesn't matter. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And Lamar, I thought, was at his very best uh, in just an incredible performance. He torched, torched man coverage. Absolutely torched it. But what made him extremely difficult, he resembled that of Lamar in 2019 when he won the MVP. But he had 124 rushing yards. That, by the way, is the most ever by a quarterback in Monday Night Football history. He became the sixth starting quarterback in NFL history with 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns in a game. And the first since RG3 seven years ago. Uh, He led both teams in rushing, which is the 10th time he's done that. (laughs) It's just pretty amazing. At 33 starts, he's outrushed the highest rusher on his team and on the other team 10 times. Think about that. Uh, and that's the fourth most times by a QB since the 1950, uh, since the 1950 season, according to Elias. It was also his eighth career 100-yard rushing game, trailing only Michael Vick, who has 10 for the most by a quarterback in NFL history. He might very well break Michael Vick's record in the regular season here. <laughs> it's a very real possibility. Now, he didn't do it exclusively with his legs. He dropped back to pass 27 times. And really, when he was inside the pocket, no pun intended, he was very pedestrian. He averaged about three and a third yards per drop back when kept inside the pocket. That was 18 times of his 27 dropbacks. So two out of three dropbacks. He was inside the pocket, and in those dropbacks, he accounted for less than 60 yards. Not good. However, when he got outside the pocket, 
that's when the magic happened. He scrambled for almost 50 yards and a touchdown. And he went two for two. Two for two for 83 yards, including the go-ahead touchdown to Marquise Brown when throwing it from outside the pocket. In that go-ahead touchdown, he broke contained to the right. They brought all-out pressure. Why against a mobile quarterback? I don't know. I think they probably thought he was banged up or hurt. So they think maybe he's not as mobile. So boom, let's bring the house and heat him up. Not smart. Not smart at all. Greg Williams just got fired a few days ago because he brought all-out pressure in a critical situation. Why nobody's being critical of Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator for the Browns, is beyond me. But he brings all-out pressure. They have poor contain principles on the right side of the offensive line. Lamar breaks to the right, and next thing you know, the defensive backs are in no-man's land. He challenges the line of scrimmage, knowing that he can pick up the fourth down yardage needed to create a fresh set of downs for his squad. Or, you know, they can throw it over their head to Marquise Brown, Hollywood, if you will, for the touchdown and the go-ahead and the game winner. Uh, So, pretty amazing what he was able to do there with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Of course, Baker Mayfield, not to be outdone, who gets a piece of the gold star, also deserves a little credit for his performance. Because after Lamar returned with cramps, he finished the game five of six for 82 and a touchdown. Uh, That's pretty remarkable. Really is. Pretty remarkable there. And Baker was not outshined. Baker, of course, had the interception where he threw it unknowingly to the end man on the line of scrimmage who was dropping out underneath a stop route. And that was an unfortunate throw. It ended the longest streak of his career without having thrown an interception. But after that interception, he responded beautifully. He completed 11 to 14 for 150, two touchdowns throwing it and one touchdown running it. He was so good down the stretch and gave his team a chance. And unfortunately for him, his defense couldn't get off the field. But my goodness, you get 42 against the, against the Baltimore Ravens, you would think it's enough to win the game. So I think the quarterback matchup of the year that I saw based on performance and efficiency, there were some great ones throughout the course of the year, no doubt. There were some great ones, but I'm not sure there was a better one than what we saw from Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson on Monday night. Just an instant classic. The bounce back award goes to two guys. Two. Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, both of which came limping into week 14. Tom Brady, of course, they had lost two in a row. When was the last time we saw Tom Brady lose two in a row? I know it's been a while. I didn't look up the stats, but it feels like forever. And Tom Brady has finally, I think, found a rhythm with the pressure, with the protections that they obviously had an an entire bye week to establish who they want to be down the stretch. And Tom Brady did a much better job, and the protection was much more sound. He was pressured only two times on Sunday. Only two times against the Minnesota Vikings. He took no sacks. And he was two for four on throws that traveled more than 20 yards downfield, uh, including a touchdown to Scotty Miller. Now that four attempts, he was averaging eight attempts a game. Those four attempts is way beneath the Mendoza line. 
Like that's the healthy number. He doesn't need to throw it eight to 10 times a game, 20 yards downfield. It's not high percentage. It's not who he is. Not at this point in his career. He's a surgeon. He's going to chop you up piece by piece, little by little, six, seven, eight yards a pop. That's who Tom Brady's become. He will carve you up. Now he can push it down the field, but he's not, hey, let's, he's not Justin Herbert. Let's throw it 60 yards downfield and see what happens. That's not who he is. So I love that they've now adjusted to what Tom Brady's most comfortable being. And I think they will reap the rewards down the stretch as a result of their willingness to adjust. So something to keep an eye on there. Will it matter? I, I'm not sure. I think they're pretty good. I don't know if they're as good. I'm not sure they're as good as, as some of the other teams in the, in the NFC. Uh, but I'm cautiously optimistic about where the Bucks might be heading. The other bounce back, of course, was Russell Wilson. He had not been playing very well. He hadn't. He was careless with the football. They weren't really doing the same things that they were at the beginning of the year. I thought he was pressing to a certain extent, but on Sunday, and granted, it was against the New York Jets, so take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Just a little bit of a grain of salt. And remember, in the five games prior to this game, the Seahawks were two and three. And if you want to go back just a little bit further, they were three and four in their last seven after starting the season five and oh. So this is a team that I wouldn't say limping's fair, but I would say less than stellar. And they just lost at home to the Giants with the backup quarterback. So he was not playing his best football, but I thought he was very efficient against the Jets. It was all about the short and intermediate passing game. He was 17 of 21 for three touchdowns on throws that traveled less than 10 yards. He was just carving them up and they ran the ball better, took a little pressure off of him. And Russell Wilson used that run game to his advantage because against the Jets in play action, he was five of six with two touchdowns. He had entered the game with the best completion percentage on play action of any quarterback in the NFL. He was completing just under 80%. And they had abandoned that to a certain extent the last few weeks, but it's easy to abandon when you're not running the ball great. So it's nice to see the Seahawks offense getting back to their usual self. Hopefully, it's some momentum that can be created and maintained down the stretch. It won't be easy, though. Uh, a game against Washington awaits, and we know Washington defensively is a handful. So the bounce-back performances go to both Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. Uh, finally, the Titan Up Award. The Titan Up Award goes to Daniel Jones. And I guess I could probably give it to both Daniel Jones and Alex Smith. I'm going to resist though on Alex Smith uh, because he won. <laughs> As you know, you are not eligible for the Titan Up Award when you win. Um, maybe you are, but Alex Smith didn't have to do much. He wasn't asked to do much and he threw for 57 yards, but not necessarily. Hey, we'll give Alex Smith the credit. All right, we'll give him credit. He's got his team sitting in a good spot. Daniel Jones uh, comes back from injury and didn't play very well. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is a guy who has his team within striking distance of the playoffs, within striking distance of potentially winning the 
NFC East. But I'm concerned. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm concerned because right now, and that was a putrid performance offensively all the way around. And Daniel Jones was under duress the entire game. Uh, Just completely under duress. He was sacked or under duress on 41% of his dropbacks. Uh, And it's the fifth time he's been pressured on more than 40% of his dropbacks. But he was two for five for 18 yards and took six took six sacks. I mean, that's that's brutal. And it just continues to compound itself. Cardinals clearly have the Giants numbers uh, number in two career games against the Cardinals. Daniel Jones has been sacked 14 times. So it's a problem. That's for sure. It is a real problem. And it's not going to get much easier. You look at the Giants down the stretch. They have the Browns, who are a playoff team. And they're at the Ravens, who are right now on the fringe of the playoffs. And then you have the Cowboys at home. Gosh, they got to be able to beat the Cowboys. But a 1-3 and finish to the season, 1-4 and if you include the Cardinals game, is well within reach and potentially 0-4 is not out of the realm of possibility. The Cowboys, I'm not sure what to make of them right now. They're difficult to kind of understand, at least at this moment. But something to keep an eye on. That's it for the inside the pocket superlatives this week. The Gold Star going to the Monday night performances of Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. The bounce back going to Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, and of course, the Tighten Up Award going to Daniel Jones. When we return, we'll be joined by Kurt Morrison. Does a great job here on SiriusXM NFL Radio. He does some work on ESPNU Radio, and of course, has a podcast here on SiriusXM as well called Total Coverage. He'll join us right here inside the pocket. Welcome back to Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy. Thrilled to be joined by our next guest. He is Kirk Morrison. Played eight years in the league and was all over the place. And now you can hear him on the Rams pregame and postgame coverage. He's also a SiriusXM football analyst and will be on the call for ESPN College Football this weekend with Beth Moens calling UCLA and Stanford. Kirk, what's going on, my man? I'm doing good, man. I've heard I'm uh, I'm the first non-quarterback, so I don't know how I feel about that, Greg. Let, let me know. Like, <laughs> put some eye black on. What, what do I need? Man? No, you're second, actually. Um, you're second, <laughs> but you come second to a very good person, Charles Davis. So, like, oh, man. oh wow, yeah, oh. you're in a great spot. Like, man. I mean, it, you don't ever want to be first because you're going to come under serious scrutiny, which yeah. Charles is going to do. Uh, yeah, so, you're Charles, I love Charles, by the way. Love. Charles. Yeah, you're you're hitting the sweet spot. <laughs> And obviously, Charles does a great job. Look, we know that you cover college football in the NFL from a lot of different angles. And I'm actually right. really curious to ask you, um, just from your perspective as a former linebacker, right? because I have found to me that quarterback was always the most difficult position to play. I still think that it is. I, okay. I maintain that. I believe that uh, because of the, the knowledge and the intangibles and the instincts and just all the stuff that like has to go on. I have actually changed now to think that quarterback is one A as far as difficulty is concerned. One B is linebacker because of the RPOs and all the things going on. 
both in college and the NFL. How much more difficult is playing linebacker today than it was, say, 20 years ago? Oh, man. How, how much time we got, buddy? <laughs> we got as much as you want. This is a podcast. We can go the distance. Yeah, man. Um, it's funny because I just gave this conversation, had this conversation with some uh, young high school players. And and I was telling them just what your assignment is every single time or just what it means to play linebacker. And I go back to what I learned back when I was in college. A-A-K-T-E. That's number one, right? Alignment, assignment key technique execution that's that's what a linebacker is that's what your checklist has to be every single play now you throw in all the extra stuff there's one thing to be a linebacker but we're talking about in college if you're the guy calling the plays or in the nfl if you're the linebacker with the green dot on the back of the helmet greg it it is a lot and so i know i went back to my career and i always said This is the mental checklist that I had to go through as a linebacker. Number one, what personnel grouping are we in? Are we in base? Are we in nickel? Are we in dime, short yardage? Are we in the big boy package? That's number one. That's what I need to know. Number two, what's our down and distance? I need to know what the situation is. Are we in first and 10, second and five, second and 10, third and three? So those are just two quick ones. Now I got to get the call from the sideline. What are we bringing in? Or is it a pressure? Is it going to be a zone blitz? Is it base? Is it going to be a, uh, a regular zone? What's the coverage that we're going to be playing? And I have to get that across to 10 other guys and make sure they all know. Now I must turn around and call the front. Hey, where's the tight end lined up? Where's the strength of the formation? Where's the passing strength? Where are we blitzing from? And then if they motion, what happens? Do we change the blitz? Do we change the front? Do we change who's dropping? Do we change who's blitzing? Okay, and you're trying to figure all this out at the same time as to where do I align? What is my coverage? Okay, what is my key to get me to the right play? And then at the end of all of that, Greg, right, what is execution? And now you throw in some of the dilemmas that these quarterbacks that are putting you in each and every play with being the 11th offensive player before it was just 10 guys in the quarterback so we just had to worry about the 10 guys like the offensive linemen and the five eligible yeah you knew where the quarterback was gonna you knew be where the, yeah you knew where the quarterback was it was like right. man get out of here like you playing against tom <laughs> brady it was like we worry about these 10 guys okay we got five offensive linemen hey you d linemen you keep them we're worried about the five eligible but now it's six eligible i want people to remember like now it's, it's six eligible people that can touch the ball on any given play and so you're never really playing um, – you're not playing 11 on 10. Now you're playing true 11 on 11, and that's where everybody has to be all in unison. And the linebacker today, it, it is tough, man. I've seen some plays this year, Greg, that I'm saying I don't know how to defense that. Like just – I got a play in my mind right now from last week. With the, it, was, it was the Raiders and the Colts. One side of the offensive line is actually pass protecting. The other side of the line is running a, a, a uh, an outside zone scheme. And they're in a blitz. And I'm saying, I mean, and the Raiders are in a blitz. And the linebacker has to go to coverage. But yet they're running a play to the backside. And Jonathan Taylor goes like 60 yards for a touchdown. Like, I, I don't know how, how, just how difficult it is now for a linebacker in today's game of football. It's insane. I, I just, I don't know how... Anybody, I really don't. I don't know how anybody could possibly play the position right now at a really high level. Now, there's some headhunters out there, big hits, yeah. like, but 
those guys get embarrassed like seven times a game now. You know, it's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, even the best, it's it's truly remarkable. Uh, Kirk, you follow the the Rams right. obviously on on a weekly basis. I think you have one of the most dangerous teams in the league mm-hmm. uh, because of your defense, frankly. But I also think Jared Goff, not all that dissimilar to other young quarterbacks that have been heaped a ton of praise and are very wealthy. I think he comes under a lot of scrutiny and I think it's a little unfair. Um, granted, uh, I don't think he's the best quarterback in the league. I'm not even Correct. sure he's top seven or eight or even 10, but I think he's serviceable and he's accurate and he does a pretty good job off boot and play action. Like Sean McVay wants him to do along with Kevin O'Connell and Zach Robinson, the quarterback coach. I think he's serviceable. As long as he doesn't have performances like he had against the Dolphins, he's a pretty good player. So how should we assess Jared Goff at this point? And do you think he's a little unfairly characterized? I think he's unfairly unfairly characterized, Greg, but you know the scrutiny that comes with signing a $100 million contract. Like you, you're not, you don't get the benefit of the doubt of having a bad game. Like you're a hundred million dollar quarterback. You got to be on point every single game. There is no mistakes that he makes. So I think he understands that he realizes that. But when I look at Jared Goff from week to week, um, I've honestly coined the acronym FDJ. Okay. So FDJ is first drive Jared. I'll know what I'm going to get from Jared on his first drive of the game. And obviously those, that drive is usually what scripted, right, Greg? So I know what kind of, you know, what kind of Jared Goff I'm going to get. Is he crisp? Is he accurate? Is he, you know, how is he, is he got good bounce? Is the running game going to be involved? But you know, honestly, what you're going to get from Jared, depending on how he almost plays in that first drive. Right. I, I really believe that. And, and I think that's a really concerning thing mm. because it's not about what you do at the beginning of the game. It's about right. what you do at the end of the game. And I, I mean, I, the Super Bowl is clear as day. Another great example of him going up against a pretty good defense was against Chicago. I think it was yes. Monday night football. might've been Sunday night football. I'm not sure exactly when it was. It was a, it was a yeah, night Sunday game. Night, yep. Sunday night football. At it Chicago. was Sunday night. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It was one of the two. It was Sunday or Monday. I think yep. it was Monday, but either way, it doesn't matter. It, it was a night game. I know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It just depends on which one, because you yeah. had the one from 2020 where he performed well, but it wasn't Vic Fangio's defense that year right. that was at Chicago. It was a little bit cold. He didn't have the running game. And Jared was going to be have to force to have to make plays in some pressure situation. And that's where Jared, and, and this is where I, I'll, I'll need your help on this one though, Greg. Jared, sometimes outside of the tempo and hurry up under Sean McVay bootlegs waggles. That's Jared's thing. He can do that blindfolded, right? You get Jared in a bootleg and a waggle boom. He, his reads are, are boom. It's structured. It's layered. He knows where to go with the football. It's those situations where Jared predetermines the throw from inside the pocket. Yeah. And it's hard for him to come off the number one and that have that timing in his head that I can't get to number two or number three. If number one's not there, throw it away. That's where Jared gets in trouble is when he tries to go to two sometime, but you're very rarely going to get to three. Like your offensive line has to be great, but he's trying to do that under pressure with actual blitz pressure. on. You can't get to your second and third read in, in blitzes. It's the one, it's not there at one, you got to throw it away. Cause I, as a former defender, I know 
I am going to hit you. Our job is to get you off the first read, let alone let you make it to the second read. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, they don't usually often have real deep pure progression reads because Correct. so much of what they're doing is predicated off full boot play action. Right. You know I mean? It's full boot. So you only have half the field to read it. So you're right. Like I do think he gets hung on one some and does a decent job of getting to two. And they'll show right. so many different presentations of that, that yeah, it's not overwhelmingly challenging for a quarterback to go through that progression. But I also think this is a guy that is not overly athletic. He's fine. He's not Baker Mayfield. So for instance, when <laughs> right. Baker Mayfield runs a full boot play action, like that's a problem for defenses because he yes. can actually hurt you with his legs. Mm -hmm. If Lamar were to go with full boot play action, that's a real problem. Right. I mean, there's a million examples of guys that were so much better suited than doing full boot play action than what we're seeing from Jared Goff. So how does he constantly get away with that? I'm guessing their run game's so good and their jet sweep action's so good that it does make it hard on opposing defenses, but you're a former defender. Why does it work as well as it does when he's really not the most mobile guy in the world? I think a lot of it is tempo. Um, they play with great tempo, especially after they hit a big play, they'll get back up and they've had, you know, they've called two or three plays in a huddle or there's those signals that he'll throw out or a, a play call or, you know, whether it's, you know, it's Mamba or it's it's uh, Skittles, whatever it may be, whatever that call is, that they get up to the line of scrimmage and they run that specific play. I think also what 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 they need to get back to is that they don't have a deep threat. The Rams don't have a vertical deep threat that they once had with Sammy Watkins that was there for Sean McVay's first year, then Brandon Cooks for the two years that after that. And that really is what stretched out the field and opened a lot more for Jared. Now, the only thing that he does have in those bootlegs and waggles, he doesn't have that deep guy anymore. So everything is short and intermediate. And he does have to give ground at times. But I think when it's not there, he has to throw it away. Right where you mentioned it with Baker and Lamar, if it's it's almost turned into a, a um, you know the a run pass option for the quarterback. Hey, if it's not there, go get five yards. Jerry's not going to get you five yards. He's he's that's just not his game. He is going to see if it's there. If it's not, I got to throw it away. But I think he just to me the the bigger issue for Jared, I think moving forward, is he just has to be comfortable and know like you know what. The defense won that down. Hey, you got us. Just get to the next down. And when Jared does that, he's fine because he shows that, look, he's a tough kid. He's going to take hits. I love that about him. But every play doesn't always have to be the big play. Yeah. I think that's a fair that's a fair criticism. And as he's too far into his career for that to continue to be an issue. At some point, you got to yeah. turn the page. We visit with Kirk Morrison, does a great job covering football, college, NFL, you name it. Uh, and love getting a linebacker's perspective on the quarterback play. You do work for the Los Angeles Rams, mm -hmm. and there's a strong possibility. I, well, who knows with this new playoff format? We might have 51 teams in it, including <laughs> the top 19 from college by the time it's all done. Who cares? Right. But in all seriousness, the last who's the last quarterback that you want to see? If you're the Rams and you have to tee it up in the postseason, doesn't really matter at what level. Let's just say anywhere before the Super Bowl. So obviously Mahomes is a pretty easy answer. Right, 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 right. Out of the out of the AFC, but in the NFC, who's the last quarterback you want to see? I'm I'm still scared to death of of Russell Wilson. 
Uh, I really am. Um, and the reason why is because it seems the Seahawks get better when their backs are against the wall. I mean, they go through this period every single year, Greg, where they look great and then they taper off and then all of a sudden they get to the playoffs and they have an identity of who they are, right? They have the identity of like, when we've got a good run game going, which Chris Carson now is back, he's healthy. Um, when they've got that going, I think Greg Elson will be back. I'm not saying he's a big passing threat, but a lot of guys who've been banged up will be ready Series to go. Series XM right podcast. Time, and they'll have a pass rush defensively. So I bring all of that up because they have the understanding and the belief that if number three is behind center, we're in it until there's triple zeros on the clock. That dude, he, he just scares me because I know that either if they're down or they're up, Russell Wilson will find a way to get it done. And that's why I think he's a difficult out. And the Rams have had success against him. But that's the regular season. Postseason, Russell Wilson, I think, is is he's a scary dude. And outside of that, I've seen the other quarterbacks in the NFC. I'm not necessarily like, mm, it's whatever, whether it's Drew Brees. I saw Aaron Rodgers last year against the 49ers. You know, you can you can take away Devontae Adams and, okay, then what's the what's what's your curveball, like you mentioned earlier? Um, you know, I just looking at the Tom Brady, we'll see what he looks like. So of all of those, it has to be Russell Wilson. I, that's the one guy I don't want to see in the playoffs. Yeah, he's a handful. There's no denying that. No Rodgers, huh? I just I think I want to see what Aaron Rodgers can do without Devontae when you take him out. And it, it was just so damning for me last year watching that NFC championship game versus the 49ers. And they didn't have an answer. Like they took away Devontae Adams and said, okay, go give it to Aaron Jones. Go find we'll let Alan Lazard have 30 catches today, right? We'll let Equinemius St. Brown have five. But the consistent they can play one-on-one with those guys, but when Devontae is not getting those big catches, it, it seemed like it frustrated Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and that's, I think, a a fair concern. But, hey, what about Tanyan? Come on, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, he's turned into a machine. Guys, like got like 42 touchdowns. Right. I mean, when Tanyan's got 10 touchdowns, I think, or nine right. or whatever it is, you know you're having a good year throwing it. But, you know, the, the Packers rush defense, too, man. And you play keep away from Aaron Rodgers now when he's forced to have to go out there and make something happen. Oh, like yeah. That, that, that's the other part of it, too, right? Just playing keep away, keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. And so I saw that. That's hard for me, Greg, is that I've seen the formula from other teams. And one, I want to see, can you get past that in the playoffs, which a lot of teams don't do. That's a very fair uh, thing to be concerned about if you are a Packers fan, uh, <laughs> because I think for as good as Aaron is, and sure, in a shootout, I'll favor him every day of the week. Mm-hmm. But put it this way, we play the Titans on December 27th, and I'd be scared to death as a Packer, mm-hmm. Packer fan. Because <laughs> Derrick Henry's coming to town. That's the blueprint. And it ugly. So that's, that's, that's the blueprint. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, for Green Bay, who currently is right now, they have the inside track for the one seed in the NFC. Kirk, we can't tell you how much we appreciate the time, my man. So, so, so looking forward to seeing you again here down the road and look forward to covering uh, or listening to your coverage on the Rams pre and post game show, Sirius XM, which we can find you all over the place. Of course, total coverage, which is a fantastic podcast covering the NFL from all different angles. And of course, on the game this weekend with Beth Moens, 
for UCLA and Stanford. You're a busy man. You are a very busy man. So I hope I got all your responsibilities in right there. Um, yeah. And then I also carry the torch for the group of five. So there you, you go. Okay. The there it is. Very good. Uh, <laughs> official group of five apologist slash. Uh, and for those that are NFL fans exclusively, the group of five is the non power five. Uh, so, uh, BYU group of five or not Kirk. Uh, yeah, they're still they're a group of five. Man, they're the whack. They're, you know, they were the whack. They were the Mountain West. No, they're not Notre Dame. They're a group of five as well, man. I don't, they're not independent. They play. They play basically a, a Mountain West schedule. Stop it. <laughs> Maybe so. All right, man. We appreciate it. We look forward Thanks, to talking to you again soon. Appreciate it, brother. That'll do it for us on Inside the Pocket. Join us next week as we dive deep into week 15 of the NFL season. I can't believe we're that deep here, but we've made it. We've gone through it, and we are looking at the finish line, knowing that there are a lot of divisional races still going on. There's seeding and jockeying for the pecking order in both the AFC and the NFC, so we look forward to wrapping the season here in the next few weeks with you. Remember, you can always download Inside the Pocket wherever it is you get your podcast, and you can listen on the SiriusXM app. For Andrew Emmer, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next week on Inside the Pocket. SiriusXM Podcasts.